0: Hi, my name is Preston. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes south from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the Prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the Prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture that told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks, Preston. Morning. There was a study done recently. There was a a foundation that uh, decided to find out why a lot of young people are leaving the faith and uh, declaring themselves uh, as atheists. Uh, There's an article about it in the Atlantic Monthly last month. So they they surveyed people who are actively... Uh, living as atheists, students living as atheists and atheist societies on their campuses across the country. And, and they asked a simple question, what were the reasons that you decided to live as an atheist? And uh, they gave a whole bunch of reasons. And, and As you might expect, they started with a lot of rational reasons. It's because of A and B. It's because of evolution. It's because of women's issues. It's because of sexuality. You know, they had a whole lot of rational reasons. But as the people who were uh, asking them questions and interviewing them and listened, they they discovered a whole lot of other things as well. They discovered that a lot of these people, most of them in fact, had been involved with the church at one point, and it was because of their experience in the church that they left. It wasn't because they came out of Buddhism or something else. They, they, they were reacting to their experience in the church. They also discovered that part of the reason that they were reacting to the, their experience in church was that the message and the mission of their churches was just plain vague. They didn't know what it was. It wasn't clear to them. And it didn't seem to make any difference. They discovered the interviewers discovered that uh, that that, that uh, when they had questions, that when these when these young people had questions concerning life's difficult kinds of issues, they got lousy answers. They they got answers that that were superficial. Uh, it seemed like the people that, that they had these questions, they were asking them of their uh, fellow Christians, and they weren't getting answers that reflected any kind of real wrestling with the questions. On the other hand, most of them said that they respected those ministers and those churches that took the Bible seriously. Took the Bible seriously, had wrestled with it, thought about it. So vague mission and values no answers, superficial answers to life's difficult questions. not giving these students a reason to believe and a model to to follow. We've been working through this the, the book of Acts for last uh, this is week thirteen now and part of the reason as a church we chose to work, go through the book of Acts is because Luke opens up this book of Acts by saying, in my former book, Theophilus, meaning the Gospel of Luke, in my first volume, I talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And by implication, what Luke is saying at the beginning of the book of Acts is that this book, Acts, is a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus is continuing what he began to do and teach, how? Through his people, Empowered by his spirit to do what he did and taught. That's what we're about. That's our mission and our message. What we want to do is be like Jesus, teach what Jesus taught, and invite others to come and join with us in being like Jesus and teaching what Jesus taught. Okay? Gospel witness. Is about telling others what Jesus did and taught and living lives to reflect the goodness of Jesus' character and the truth of Jesus' message. So if you're wondering what our mission, value, and, and, and message is, that's it. Now, in our passage today, you get some interesting storylines converging. What Luke t- tells us in the beginning part that, that uh, uh, Paul talked about last week. Uh, the church is growing in Jerusalem. And as it's growing, and people are being added to it, it starts to make the religious authorities in Jerusalem nervous, anxious, fearful, jealous. And so they start to oppose the church, and persecution breaks out. Stephen gets murdered. He's the first martyr of the church. And after that, the the persecution gets even more widespread. And, eventually, and because of that, a lot of the believers, all of the believers, except for the apostles, they get scattered into, Jeru- into Judea and Samaria. They're forced to flee the city of Jerusalem. Well, they flee, but everywhere they go, they take the mission of Jesus and the message of Jesus with them, and they share it with the people around them. So Philip goes to Samaria, to a to town in Samaria, and he starts preaching the gospel, the message. And people believe it, and he starts uh, Showing the, the signs and wonders and people get healed and people are attracted to that and all kinds of things happen. There's this great movement of the spirit happening in this town in uh, Samaria. It's, it's incredible. It's beautiful. What, what Luke tells us is that there was great joy in that city. Great joy in that city because God has shown up in their midst in the person of Philip And the presence of God and the goodness of God and the power of God and the truth of God is flowing into people's lives, and there's great joy in that city. Meanwhile, while all this is going on in that city in Samaria, there's this guy, a rich guy, respected guy, important guy in uh, Ethiopia. But it's not modern day Ethiopia, this is modern day would be Sudan, okay, that area. But even though he's rich, extremely rich and important, he's the chief financial officer of the queen of the Ethiopians, even though he's, in his culture, where he is, he's uh, looked up to a respected man. There's something missing in his life. There's something empty in his life. And he's on a search. He's looking for God. And he can't find God where he is. And somehow he hears about the God of the Jews and decides, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to look for God. So while all this is happening in this town in Samaria, this guy's making his journey into Jerusalem. And he gets to Jerusalem, and probably he's told, well, you know, he says, I want to find God. Tell me about God. He gets to Jerusalem, and he's told, well, you got to go to the temple. Except he can't go to the temple because he's a, he's a, ethiopian not a jew and he can't become a jew because he's a eunuch and according to deuteronomy 23 1 is anyone who has been emasculated by uh, crushing or cutting cannot enter the assembly of of the lord's people cannot assembly of the lord so that's interpret saying he just can't go into the temple so he's looking for god until he can't go where god is supposed to be you get the picture We don't know how long he spent in Jerusalem. We don't really know anything about what that was like for him there. What we do know is that he left Jerusalem, however, and he left without God. He hadn't found God yet. So he's traveling back home. Meanwhile, back in Samaria, all this great stuff's happening, right? And then this angel of the Lord comes to Philip and he says, Philip, I want you to leave this town. I want you to go. Go where, Lord? Go to the desert road. Now picture this conversation. Excuse me? You want me to go to the desert road? You know why it's called a desert road, right? There's nothing there. Yeah, Philip, go to the desert road. So Philip goes. If if you're queuing with me, which I'm supposed to be queuing, um, Flip to the one that says, uh, gospel witness about partnership between God and us, okay? For those of you who don't know me, I'm terrible with these PowerPoint slides, but I'm going to do my best. So anyway, so the angel of the Lord tells Philip to go. Philip may be puzzled by it, but he goes. He goes on his desert road. He's not told why he's supposed to go, go to the desert road. He's not told what's supposed to happen there. He's just told to go. So he goes, and the text tells us that on his way there, he met an Ethiopian, a eudic, uh, chief financial officer of the Kandaki, the, the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, at that point, Philip sees this guy, sees him in his chariot, Sees him on this road. Probably the only group person. He's probably got some kind of servants with him. The only group on this road. He sees him off in the distance. And then he hears the angel. Then he hears the spirit say to him, okay, now go and draw near. Now, this raises a question for us. It says that the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. The spirit spoke to Philip. And the question was, well, how does God do that? How do we hear God speak and, you know, how does God speak and how do we hear God speak? Now, here's a short answer. God speaks any way he wants to because he's God, okay? He can speak through audible voices. He can speak through signs in the sky. He can do signs and wonders. He can speak through people. He can speak through a donkey. God can speak any way he wants to. Now, I've only had one time in my life, only one time, where I felt like God spoke to me in his kind of funky, weird way. I was, I'd, I'd become a follower of Jesus just a few months earlier um, while I was uh, through an university group at Tufts University. I was coming out of a class, and uh, it was a beautiful spring afternoon. Cutting across the green behind, uh, if any of you have seen the Tufts campus behind, I was coming from the Fletcher campus across Packard Avenue onto the green, and I was going to start going down toward lower campus. So I cut between Ballou Hall and Goddard Chapel and Ballou Hall, going down to the green. There's a big presidential lawn behind there. And uh, people were out. Lots of, lots of people were out playing frisbee. Uh, reading under trees, talking—you know—it was—it was just a gorgeous day, the, the kind of day that reminds you why you live in New England. So I'm walking, you know, I'm thinking about the class I just got out of, and kind of looking at the scene around me, and I'm walking the, down, down toward Lower Campus, and all of a sudden I was just stopped in my tracks. Just kind of—it was like a sign went off in my brain, and what I saw was walking corpses. I didn't hear a voice, but I saw the sign in my brain, walking corpses. And, and I just stopped. And I, I mean, I didn't, I was, I couldn't move. And somehow I knew that God was speaking to me and he was saying, look around you, Lou. Look around all these people around you. They're alive, but they're dead. They're like walking. Corpses. And I knew that in some way God was asking me to become a channel of His life to them. And every idea I had about what I was going to do with my life began to change that day, that moment. Every idea. Every plan I'd ever made just went out the window right then and there, that moment. Only time I've ever had that kind of experience. But I've had a lot of experiences where God spoke to me through his word, which is the primary way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Bible that he's given us. And every other way he speaks to us never contradicts what he says in the Bible that he's given us. God primarily speaks to us through his word. He can speak any way he wants but because he's God, but he's chosen to primarily speak to us through his word. So let me say what I've said probably in a couple of different ways over the last several months. We do not read the Bible because we're trying to get God to like us more. God already loves us completely and unconditionally. He will not love us more if we read the Bible. He will not love us less if we don't. He already loves us completely and unconditionally. The reason we read the Bible is because we want to love God more. And one of the ways to get to know God and see how good he is is by reading the scriptures and seeing what he's done and what he said and how he's interacting with the world. When we read the Bible, we see something of the character of God. We see something of what God cares about, what he values. And when we read the Bible and let it soak into us, it helps us to interpret our reality, the world in front of us. It helps us to see the world the way God sees it. It helps us see other people the way God sees them. We read the Bible because the Bible helps us become more and more like Jesus as it marinates our souls. And it helps us share the message of Jesus we come to understand it more and more clearly. It helps us to hear and understand and interpret the voice of God to us. And it helps us to share this voice of God, this message of God, with all those around us. Now, we're reading this passage today. So what does this passage reveal about God and about his message? Well, one of the things it reveals is that God sees people. He sees them and he hears them and responds to them. See, somewhere in the mix of all that was going on on the planet, God saw this Ethiopian eunuch and he heard the cry of this man's heart. He heard him. He saw him. He knew the longings in there. He knew that this man was looking for him. He was hungry for God. And God determined that he was going to make himself known to this man and draw him to himself. He was going to answer this man's heart longing. So he pulls Philip out of this great revival in a Samaritan, Samaritan town, and he sends him onto a desert road. Why? The only reason was because there was one man, an Ethiopian eunuch, who was looking for God. And God wants to be found by anyone who wants to find him. We find out that God is a God who doesn't play favorites. He's a God who seeks even the outsider. He's a God who is willing to go to extraordinary, extraordinary lengths, to find people who want to be found. Even people who don't know they want to be found. Now, this Ethiopian was an outsider. He was deaf. You know, when, when Philip gets on this desert road and he sees off in the distance, he sees this chariot, he sees somebody in it, The Spirit of the Lord says, go and draw near. But before he draws near, what does he see? He sees a guy. He sees a stranger. He sees a black man. He sees a chariot, so he knows this guy's really rich because most people walked. Pretty wealthy people maybe had a donkey or some other. only Only the very few had a chariot. As far as Philip was concerned, This man was from the other side of the world, the ends of the earth, if you will. He may as well have been from outer space or Lady Gaga. You know, I mean, he's just different from Philip. That's what Philip sees from a distance. And then the Spirit of the Lord says, now go and draw near. So he goes and draws near, and as he gets close, he hears this guy reading. People read out loud then. And he hears him reading, and he recognizes this guy's reading from the, from the book of Isaiah. And he realizes all of a sudden, this guy isn't somebody from outer space. He's not some strange guy different from me. This guy is hungry for God. He has his, he has his revelation. This guy This guy is a lot more like me than I thought. And over the next several hours, not only is he a lot more like me, but this man becomes a brother. He becomes a brother. See, everybody looks like a stranger when you're at a distance. But it's only as you draw near that you can hear their questions and their heart cries and you can see the way that you're like them. It's only as you draw near that you see them the way Jesus sees them. See, our temptation is to see people from a distance and put them in a category. We categorize them. They're this, they're that, they're that. It's only as we draw near to them that they become a person. A person. I mentioned that I became a follower of Jesus in college. If you've got that photo, you can put it up now. This is a, one of my passport photos from you know, a couple of years ago when uh, I knew that hair existed. Um, but here's the thing. I became a follower of Jesus near what was then called the, the Jesus movement, near the tail end of the Jesus movement. And uh, as I mentioned, it really rocked my life. It changed my life. One of the things I was told by my inter friends on campus was that when I went home, I had to find a church. The first thing I should do when I got home for the summer was find a church. I said, okay. So I get home, and I, this was before internet, so I open up the yellow pages. I'm not even sure they exist anymore, but I open up the yellow pages. They got the churches listed, and they're listed alphabetically. So I see, okay, Lowell Assembly of God. So and I look at the outside, I know where that is. And it's not that far away. So that next Sunday I start walking to church. And remember, I got to church. I was dressed in my Sunday best. Jeans with, you know, forty seven different patches on them. And holes where there weren't patches. And ratty old, you know, sneakers. I had I I think I was wearing Chucks. And you know, at that time my hair was really not long, not like this. It was really long and I had like a ZZ top kind of beard, long, you know. So picture that. Then I walk into this church. This I go through the door, I walk in and I froze again. Cuz I looked around and I felt like I'd walked into a time warp. I'd walked into the 50s somehow. Because everywhere I looked, there were guys wearing white shirts, skinny ties, and, you know, jackets, you know, suits. And all the women were wearing long kind of dresses. And, I mean, I got scared. I felt like I'd walked into a, I'd gone back in time into the 50s, and I was, and I looked around. I was the only one that looked remotely like me there. I mean, I may as well have been lady gaga in your in your finery, you know. And, and and I didn't know what to do. I just I just I just walked in and stopped. Then this woman, this older woman came to me, Mum Ulch, I came to know her name, and she introduced herself to me. And she started to talk with me and introduced me to some other people, and she said, Hey, would you like to sit with me and my family? So I went and sat with her and her family and then she invited me to lunch with her family afterwards and what happened was that she just broke down all the barriers. Not all the barriers, but some of the barriers. Enough of the barriers that I didn't run out screaming. And enough of the barriers that I came back the next week. Now, I was part of that church for a couple of years and at the end I was still the only person still the only person with long hair and a beard and all that kind of stuff but i also was a person to whom they poured out love they received me they welcomed the outsider they welcomed me now i become i'd already bec- been a follower of jesus at that point but just barely i'm not sure what would have happened with my relationship with the church, if they kind of uh, if they closed their doors to me, uh, I'm just not sure. I found out months later that one of the elders of church drove by me with his wife in his truck, and as he drove by me, he turned to his wife and said, "Now there's a stiff that needs God." Now he told me months later after he'd gotten to know me and we'd become friends and I knew his heart. He was a really sweet man, a good guy, and the truth of the matter was he was right. I am a stiff that needs God. This was a huge stretch for them, a huge stretch for them, and they did it because they wanted to love the outsider, because they cared about Jesus more than they cared about their insular culture. I'm so grateful the Lowell Assembly of God and to Frank Giberson, the pastor there, and to Mulch and the people of that congregation who rallied around me, even though I was kind of like their worst nightmare in some sense. So who are our outsiders? Well, they're anyone. They could be anyone. You could be an up-an outsider, you could be a down-an outsider, you could be you know, a drug addict on the street, you could be a wealthy person, you know. There are all kinds of ways that people are outsiders. So there's an outsider is anybody that we don't want to talk to because of what we think or who we think they are, right? Anybody. We label people as outsiders in our heads at least when we just see them as too different from us. Now, could you imagine what would happen if God labeled people as outsiders? I mean, if you think we're different from one another, how different are we from God? Think about that. So, gospel witness is about seeking and welcoming those on the outside. It's also, gospel witness is also about helping others connect the dots. Connect the dots. Philip asks this guy a question, this eunuch a question. He says, Do you understand what you are reading? He breaks the ice, not with a statement, but with a question. Tell me, do you understand? And the guy takes that as an opening, a conversational opening, a relational opening, and he responds with his own question. Now who does that? How many go back and read the gospel? How many times did Jesus start a conversation with a question? How many times did Jesus start a conversation by asking for help? Philip is doing stuff that he kind of probably learned from watching Jesus now. He begins by asking a question here. The man says, how can I understand? Who is this prophet talking about? Who is the prophet talking about? Is it about himself? Is it about somebody else? I just don't get it. And he invites Philip into the chariot. And Philip gets in, and he began this long conversation. A part of gospel witness is, as I said, helping people connect the dots. And we do that by asking questions, by listening to the heart cries and recognizing them, and by helping to bring those questions and those heart cries into God's bigger story. So think about what, the, what this guy is reading He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53 now. He's reading from verses 7 to 8. Let me read them again for us. He was led like a a sheep to the slaughter. and his land before its year is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life, was taken from the earth. And Philips and the eunuch says, I have no idea what this passage is about and who he's talking about. Help me. Now, why is he interested in this passage? Well, think about what probably happened to him in Jerusalem. He goes and he tries to get close to God, he tries to go to the temple and he's rejected. He's humiliated. Think about what's happening. He's he's a eunuch. He can't have descendants. Here's a passage speaking into this eunuch's life story, his life experience, but he can't figure out what it's saying to him exactly. And he needs help. And we're told that Philip begins with this very passage, and he tells him the good news of the gospel, points him to Jesus. So I want to take us back into the context of this passage. Listen, I'm going to read from Isaiah 52:13. 13, through fifty three twelve, okay? See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He were up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by others a man of suffering and familiar with pain with grief like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem surely For the, discre- for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was signed a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and proclaim his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide his spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, it was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When you put what the eunuch is reading in a larger context, he's asking the question who is this prophet talking about? Who is this man? And when you see what Isaiah says in chapter 52 through chapter 53, you know, there's only one man in history, only one man in history who's fulfilled what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah tells us he's going to be, that his suffering will benefit many nations, that, it will, that he's going to suffer on our behalf, in our place, because of our sins. That he's going to willingly accept and endure suffering and judgment. It's not going to be forced upon him. He will willingly embrace it. He will lay down his own life. He will make his life an offering for sin to justify many to bear their iniquities. He's talking about Jesus. And as this eunuch is hearing Philip describe this Jesus, he says, yeah, I get it now. This is who I've been looking for. And you see this hope start to bubble in his heart, to grow in his heart. And maybe Philip goes a little bit further ahead in Isaiah, and he reads this passage from Isaiah 56, verses 3 and following. Let no foreigners who have bound themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and who'll fast my covenant, to them I will give within my temple And its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted in my altar. This eunuch wasn't allowed to do that in the temple. He wasn't allowed to bring offerings and sacrifice. He wasn't allowed to get anywhere near the temple. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. You See what Isaiah 56 is saying to this eunuch? And to all outsiders, there's a place for you in my temple, and I'm on lookout gathering you. And those of us who have been at Journey for a while and have heard Pastor Tom talk earlier in this series about what happened with the temple. The big point was that the temple in Jerusalem is no longer God's house. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. But God has established a new temple. And that temple is the church. God has made his dwelling place in his people the church. He's saying to this eunuch, my church is where I am and I welcome you Into my temple, the church. And when Philip says, starts telling the story, and when the eunuch says, What can stand in the way of my being baptized? and Philip says, Nothing. That's the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 56. He's being welcomed into the people of God as an equal. No second class status, first class equal, welcomed into the people of God welcomed into the presence of god welcomed into the heart of god in the mission of god welcomed into the love of god see the gospel is about the god who gives the gospel it's about a father who seeks and sends if you remember in the book of gen's first book of the bible God creates the heavens of the earth and the earth and he says this is good. And then he creates humankind and says this is very good. I think the reason that people exist is because the love of God overflows. Coming out of the, his relationship with the Trinity, it overflows, and God creates, He creates human beings in order to love them. And he creates the universe in order to place them in a place where they'll be loved and protected. Human beings rebel against God, they fall away, chapter 3. But the very first question in the Bible is, after the fall, the very first question is, Adam, where are you? God is still looking and seeking, even after people have rebelled against him, even after the first humans rebel against him, and reject his love and purpose. And the whole story of the Bible from then on is God seeking his people, trying to woo them back, inviting them to come back into relationship with them. That's the whole story of the Bible. God restoring a relationship of love and acceptance and welcome between him and the people he's created. And the whole purpose of the people who come to him and welcome and take on God's name is that they carry on his mission to welcome the people of this world back into relationship with their creator. And we do that by embracing the mission, by living the life, by knowing this Father who seeks and saves we see it continuing. It's not just the Father, but it's the Son. The Son is sent by the Father, and the Son willingly goes. He leaves heaven and comes to earth. He takes on human flesh. He lives a life of humility and sacrifice and pain and suffering. This is God doing this. It's God, the Son, hanging on the cross. God who could call a billion angels, who doesn't do that because he, with his Father, is committed To finding a way, to making a way to reconcile a rebellious people to himself. And then Jesus, the Son, gets off that cross, he's raised from the dead, and he sends the Spirit. So that the Spirit can help his people to live the way Jesus lived on earth. So that they can be, so they can help partner with God. So they can partner with God and fulfill the mission. So God Father. God, Son, God, the Holy Spirit, are united together in giving the gospel, enabling us to receive it and proclaim it and live it because God is a God who loves. People matter to God. And God wants no outsiders in his universe. I began by talking about that survey of students leaving the faith. One of those students, Michael, is quoted as saying, Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life. And you would want to change the lives of others. He concludes, I haven't seen too much of that. All the stuff that was in that article, I could look back at my life and say, yeah, I grew up in the church. And I left when I was like 13. Because the answers were superficial because the life was too small. Because it didn't seem to me that anybody believed that God really existed. And I got to college. And I went in as an atheist. I, didn't, I wasn't looking for God. At least I didn't know at the time that I was looking for God. And I ran into God smack in a face through his people. Fellow students on campus. I'm sorry that Mike, Michael didn't see more of that but I saw a lot of it on campus through my fellow students. And I saw it through lots of people in the church. And I am so grateful for the people who embraced the mission and the message of Jesus, who gave their lives over to Jesus so that he could transform, so I could see the life of Jesus flowing through them. I am so grateful. May it be the case The Journey is a place where when people come, they know that the people here at Journey believe that God exists, he's real. And they really believe the message of the gospel and they live it out. That's what we want to be. That's what God's called us to be. That's what we can be because God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gave us the gospel and they gave us the very self. God indwells us by his spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who seeks and finds. Thank you that you're a God who does whatever is necessary to help us to know you. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your gospel and you've given us your presence. You've given us one another. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving our friends. Thank you for loving the outsider. Lord, help us. Help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help us to go and draw near and get in the chariots of people's lives. Help us to make strangers, friends. Help us to partner with you to make enemies of God, friends of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.